tell you how you look at the world and uh, man, man, God's glory and yet this is a broken, broken place. We got our kids going up to the mountains having a good time and then you got those folks in Ukraine facing a very different practical uh, situation. And our conviction is uh, God's in control of all and working to promote his glory and his grace through, uh, through his, his people. So we're starting a new series today, The Gospel of John. And Susan Reardon, Susan Reardon figured out the title. She was the first one. We had several people that got the 33 and the 21 correct. 33 is 33? Years of life. That's how long you walked in this world. 21? Chapters. And three, you could take that a bunch of people guessed the Trinity. That would be a good guess, but it's not what we intended. For us, it's focusing on three days. So we're looking at God revealed. 33 years walking this earth, recorded by John in 21 chapters, and yet the climax, the focal point, it leads to those final three days. So that's, uh, that's uh, where we're headed in uh, 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 the next, uh, who knows how long it'll be. <laughs> So I'm having a conversation with a buddy here a couple of weeks ago. He knows I'm a pastor, we're friends, and we've been friends for a long while. And he says to me, Todd, you know, I believe in God. And I think he says that to encourage me. And then his next sentence is, but I don't believe in any formal religions. And I knew he was including Christianity. And I love to talk about Jesus, and I love to preach, if you'll allow me. But I learned a long time ago in contexts like this, just talking at people is like the worst thing you can do to help them process where they're at. So if you've not been with me in these contexts, you might be surprised at how many questions I ask. I can't tell you how many conversations in the last 35 years that I've had that are similar to this in terms of the same framework. So my question is this one, okay, so you believe in a God, but you don't believe in any formal religions. So what do you base your view of God upon? What's the foundation or the source? Now, I think to many of us that would be obvious, but as I've had these conversations, including with this friend, the response tells me they've never even considered that question. So I usually pause, give them time to answer, and usually their expression is something like, so then I'll usually move to, and I just gave him a couple sentences. Well, it feels like to me, you're just creating a picture of God in your head. Now, folks, if there's a God, now you guys know where I stand on the answer to that question. You guys do know, right? But let's just back it up a little bit. If there's a God in the universe, I'm just going to tell you. I just think... The simplest objective mind would come to this. The most important thing is to get that right. 
if there's a God, having an accurate understanding of who he is feels like to me the biggest issue, the biggest question in life. I wasn't processing this, and you've heard a quote from me, and I love this quote from Tozer. But what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We want to get this one right. We want to get this one accurate. Because we live in a world where it just feels like to me, people who believe there's a God, like my buddy, just think that he's content with us having any image of him or her. You guys know where I stand on that one, right? I'm in the postulate here, still trying to figure that out. It's like we just don't even think God cares what we think of him. That it doesn't matter to him. Or if you allow me, still in the hypothetical, her, if we should even use a pronoun. So what do we use as a basis of our understanding? And this is a gross oversimplification, I understand that, but two basic camps. The image I prefer, any picture is good. This is the predominance of folks in my estimation in America. We've talked about, about post-evangelicals, post progressive Christianity. They're picking from the Bible what they like and leaving out what they don't like. I can't figure out why you even use it at all. It just feels so logically inconsistent to me, but this is where most people live. Then there's a bunch of folks, and we live in this one, where we believe there ought to be a source of truth that we're looking to. We're going to submit our thinking to something that God himself has revealed. I see three primary sources, at least in America, the Quran, the Book of Mormon, and then we got this third one called the Bible. My deep conviction is if you haven't looked at this, look at it objectively. I did this some 40 years ago, changed my life. Just looking to see which of these sources is the most credible. God's invisible. We can't see him. Now, trying to figure out who he is is the most important thing in life. Now, we're going to look at one of the biblical authors, John the Apostle. Some of you know a little bit about him, but he's one of the first disciples that is chosen by Jesus. He's beloved by Jesus. You got Peter, James, and John, the inner three, the one that's the beloved. Here's the point. Probably the closest to Jesus as he walked this world. Probably the person that had the closest relationship with him. Walked, talked, lived, and loved Jesus. He saw him do miracles. He saw him reach out to the untouchables. He saw him transfigured. He was harassed and persecuted by Jews, Jewish uh, religious leaders. He was falsely accused. He was crucified. You guys have heard this story. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. At his crucifixion, he looked from the cross, and he looked at his mother, pointed to John, the author of this book, and said, Behold your son. Looked at the author of this book and said, look at his mother, behold your mother. All of scripture is inspired by God. All of scripture tells us about God. But this book is written by John the Apostle. 
He was very, very close to Jesus. Now, if you're somebody trying to figure out who Jesus is, you still haven't figured out whether you want to trust him or treasure him, we are thrilled that you're here. This book will help you. If you're here and you're new on your journey with Christ, you're trying to figure out more of what this looks like, but you've already decided to trust him and to treasure him, this book has something for you. If you're here and you've been walking for Jesus with Jesus for decades, this book has something for you. Now, we're going to look at the first 18 verses today. We're going to look at them pretty quickly. We're going to look at them differently. I'm going to end up walking through phrase by phrase everything that's said here. A ton in these 18 verses. It's intended to be an introduction. It's a prologue. It's intended. Some of you may leave here. I wish you just spent more time talking about this idea. By the end of the book, you will not be frustrated. He's going to deal with all these things. He's, he's, he's just putting them out there as an intro, and then he's going to develop these through the other 21 chapters. But here's the big idea of the prologue and the big idea of the book. These first 18 verses, he's introducing us to the themes, and then the rest of the book is developing and pulling apart uh, more thoughtfully and more specifically. How the Son of God, this is what it's about. That'd be the second person of the Trinity in the text we're looking at today referred to his word. Who is God? Who was with God before time began? How he became the Jesus who lived in the world in order that God might reveal his beauty, his glory, his love, his forgiveness, and his grace. In one sentence... Jesus is the best revelation of God. Here's what John's trying to convey. Because he is God. Lord, as we tie into this book, wherever we are on that journey, I pray that you would move us forward. If we're still trying to figure out whether or not we want to trust you and treasure you, I pray that you would give us, through the power of your Spirit, a clearer view of who you are. For those of us already on that journey who've read John maybe countless times, Father, I pray that the depth and significance, the truth of what is revealed about your son, about you, will touch us more deeply, more thoroughly. My prayer is, as we finish this, who knows when, my prayer is that every one of us would be able to say, we know you better. We trust you more. We have deeper affections for our Lord and Savior, for Jesus, for God. That's my prayer, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So I told you I was going to do this a little different. We're going to go through four paragraphs. We're going to go through them one at a time. I'm going to pull apart the big idea, and then we're going to walk quickly through what the, the text says about them. Again, this is I've never actually preached like this, but uh, we'll see how it works. So here's the big idea of the first paragraph, which is the big idea of the prologue, which is the big idea of the book. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So I see really three big ideas in this paragraph. Jesus is God. That's the biggest one. He's older than time. He is the creator, and he is the light. And I could also put in here the life. In the beginning was the word. Does that sound familiar to anybody, that phrase? Where would you look to find that phrase very similar? Genesis 1-1. The first phrase in the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I think we often read too far and miss the first part of that. What's the first part of that? In the beginning what? In the beginning, God. Guys, this is the foundation of the foundation and foundation of our worldview and of our faith. Before there was anything, somebody was there. Who was that? What was it like before there was anything? I really find it impossible to try and describe what that was like when there was only just God. In the beginning, God. John is absolutely referencing Moses in Genesis 1. In the beginning, before there was anything, was the word. Now, word, logos. Most of you are familiar with that. This would have meant something to the Greeks as well as to the Jews. Logos. You read through the Old Testament, God speaks, everything gets created. God speaks, people get judged. God speaks, people get delivered. This would have had great significance for the Jews. For the Greeks in that worldview, logos, it was the center of reason, of rationale, of truth. It was, it was just the core of, of that which was, which was most real and most important in life. And that's why John chooses this word here to reference Jesus. It would have, it would have had impact for people no matter where they were coming from in terms of their spiritual journey. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Here, communicating the Word, and we would say God the Father, they have a special relationship. Now, when is it that he's referencing? When is this? Before there was anything. The Word was there, and the Word was with God, and more than that, the Word was God. Now, he's not referencing the Holy Spirit here, but he is referencing the Father and the Son. And he was in the beginning with God. Let's understand. This word had a special relationship with God, and he is God. Now, who would like to explain exactly how that works? I will forfeit the pulpit, and I'll give you a $1,000 Starbucks card if you can say anything that will be insightful. We talk about tensions and things that are impossible for our finite minds to comprehend. Now don't miss this. All things were made through him. In case you didn't understand that, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life 
I think in its fullest sense, particularly here, created life, was the light of men. More than that, but light and life. Two metaphors that he's going to spend a lot of time, John, developing through this book. And the light shines in the darkness. When we go through John, the world, I love the world. Did you see how much fun those kids were having at camp? There are lots of things that are wonderful about the world that God here put for us to enjoy. You heard about what's going on in Ukraine. Primarily when we talk in spiritual terms, the world is a dark place. And John's wanting to set it up in this first paragraph. The word's going to get abused. He's ultimately going to get killed. You guys have read to the end of the story here or to that part of the story? What he's trying to set up from the very beginning is it may appear as though darkness is winning. And the darkness has not overcome it. No matter how much darkness there is in this world, it will never overcome the light and the life, the word. No matter how much it appears to you as though the darkness is winning. Does it ever appear to you like the darkness is doing very, very well? I'm telling you. This is where our faith has to be strong. You look at the world and the brokenness and hurt out there. Whew, darkness. Now, if we read the Bible, when we read John, we understand where that fits in God's plan. And Jesus was divinely introduced. In Matthew and in Luke, how does Jesus get introduced into the world? In Matthew and Luke. His birth, his physical birth. Not so with John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist now. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, John the Baptist was not, but he came to bear witness about the light. John prophesied, here's what John the Apostle wants us to know about John the Baptist. He's not just some guy that decided to talk. You can go back to the Old Testament and their prophecies. We're not going to spend the time to go look at that. But this guy spoke because God chose him to do that, to introduce Jesus. There was a man sent from God, John the Baptist. This was all a part of his plan. He came as a witness to bear witness about this light. Now, when we finish the prologue, guess who's going to be in the next text we're going to look at next week? Anybody want to guess? John the Baptist. And now John the Apostle is going to pull apart. He's just introducing this here. But what he's wanting us to see is this is John's way of now taking uh, uh, the word, the second person of the Trinity, and introducing him to us and how he got into the world. He references uh, uh, John the Baptist. That all might believe through him. Now the him here is Jesus, not John the Baptist. He's here to point to the light. He was not the light, but came bear to be bear witness about the light. And we'll, John's going to pull this apart and we'll look at that more fully next week. Jesus was rejected by those he created. John wants us to read these words which are familiar, and I think he wants us to get a feeling of, this is absurd. This is absurd. You want to illustrate the darkness in the world? The very people who were created by him reject him. 
He was rejected by those he created. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. There's a transition here in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So Jesus entered the world, and he was rejected. The true light, the genuine light, I'm going to go back to, again, what people are believing in terms of the truth about God, whoever he or she is. If it's not worth what rooted in truth, if it's not founded in stuff that makes sense. You guys get this as a passion of mine? I've told you, post-evangelicalism is a great threat, in my estimation, to the genuine faith. People who want to hold on a little bit to the Bible and pick the Bible verses they like and throw the others away. Makes no sense. This is about the truth. This is about Almighty God. And He's given us evidence that if we will take the time and look at it, makes sense. That's why I'll continue to tell you somebody shows me where there's a mistake in the Bible, I will walk away from the faith instantly. And I'll spend the rest of my life trying to get people to walk away from this about truth, the true light, which gives light to everyone. It's available to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now, coming in as a human being, he veiled the essence of his deity. You're not going to get any argument from me there. But notice how, how John's setting this up. He's the almighty creator, and yet the people he created... He came into his own, and I think he's not talking just about human beings here. I think he's talking about particularly those who have a Jewish heritage. He came into his own. See, they were prophesying about a Messiah, weren't they? For hundreds and hundreds of years, they've been waiting for a Messiah. And he comes into the world and his own people did not receive him. Now, even if we don't have Jewish heritage, ethnicity ourselves, do we think we'd have done any better? Unless you've wrestled with that and come to the firm conclusion that the odds are no, we wouldn't have done better, I'm going to encourage you to think some more and then look in the mirror just a little longer. 2,000 years later, I think we can look at these Jews and go, they weren't so smart. Neither are we. But that's the message of this, how much he loves us. And then you've got a transition in verse 12. Because Jesus though rejected by these people, don't miss this, came to give life to all who believe in him. Jesus came to save that all who would believe in him would become children of God. But to all who did receive him, 
welcome him, acknowledge who he is, who believed in his name, who figured this out, who came to treasure him. He gave the right to become children of God. And I love this last verse here. He's not going to develop it here. But who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born based upon the will of who? Do we choose to follow him? We do. Because he has birthed us. I'm going to pull this apart in the gospel. Jesus entered the world by becoming a human. Love the story in Matthew. Love the story in Luke. John the Apostle is not so interested in giving us those details. And the world became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness. This is the, the, the Baptist. He doesn't reference him as John the Baptist because he is the author, never references himself by name. So whenever he references John, he's talking about the Baptist. They just understood that. John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, this was, of he, he, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who was at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus became a human and Jesus shows us the glory, the grace and the truth of who God is. And the word, second person of the Trinity here, Lagos, became flesh and dwelt among us. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more later. For those of us who are raised in the church, my great concern is that we have less an appreciation for what's being said here than I think we might have. You hear me? I'm going to talk about that a little more. This is just so familiar to us. I think sometimes we miss the magnitude and the depth of what he's, what he's saying. And we have seen his glory. John, first-hand witness of this. Glory is of the only son from the father. Now we're talking about son and father, and there was no procreation there. We all understand that, Correct. He's coming up with terms to describe a relationship that the father and son have that is different than what I have with my son. I have a son. It's tight. It's united. It's the best language we can come up with. Sometimes I think people go there, but the son is co-equal with the father. They have this tightness of relationship that ideally every dad would have with his son, and I don't want to eliminate mothers and daughters and sons and all that stuff, right? But... This ought to be a tight relationship. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I think there's a good chance here that, that, that John is making an indirect allusion to Exodus 33, 34. You remember when Moses said to God, Hey, show me your glory. And God essentially said to him with some paraphrase, interpretive paraphrase in here, You can't look exactly at me or you'll die. So I'll show you my rear end. You guys remember that? Now, he's overwhelmed. You can't look at the essence of me. John bore witness about him. We're going to see this next week and cried out, this was he of whom I said comes after me, ranks before me, uh, uh, because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The way Paul puts this in Ephesians is, 
He has lavished his grace upon us. Right now, even if we're a believer living in Ukraine, Again, I'll just tell you, forgive me, I get off on these tangents once in a while, and there's no extra charge for this. If there's anybody you ought to be thrilled, we got all this grace of Jesus, and we got all this stuff. Did you see our kids up at camp? Imagine being a parent with high school and junior high kids in Ukraine right now. What are you hoping for? Should we feel guilty about our kids being able to go to camp? Not for a second. But this world is broken. How good is God to us? Grace upon grace, are you stinking kidding me? I played golf on Friday, and except for three double bogeys, it was a great day. Who gets to enjoy all this? Not the majority of the people in the world. Plus, we have Jesus. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, we got to be careful here because I don't think he's suggesting in the least that grace and truth didn't come in the Old Testament. If you follow John's argument, what he's saying here is there was grace and truth in the law, in all that Moses received from God. There was grace and truth there, but it's just the fullness of Christ. You take the grace and the truth of the Old Testament, now we get Jesus. <laughs> grace upon that, just even more than they got in the Old Testament. Now the big idea of the prologue the big idea of the book and the big idea of verse 1 and 18 are identical. Here's what John wants us to see. Jesus is the perfect revealer of God because he is God. If there's a God, my deep conviction is the most important thing for we human beings is to get this one right. If you're even open to the idea that there is a God, I know there's a lot of important stuff to think about. Work, family, is there a chance that the Lakers are going to make the playoffs? We have so many critical things to think about. There's nothing more important than, if there's a God, getting this right. No one has ever seen God. Now, this can be confusing, this last sentence here, but you notice the translators have put a semicolon there? That's important grammatically, and it's accurate. No one has ever seen God. However, but, the only God who is the Word, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Pondering the divinity of Jesus, the incarnation, ought to create an inevitable theological tension for us. As I hang with my yet 
to believe friends who are, well, I have friends that are younger, but you understand, are pretty much exclusively adults. I'm just going to tell you, this is a huge hang-up. God, the Almighty God, became a human being. And you'd also like to sell me some swampland in Florida. I think it's a tough idea. To a reasonable and rational, rational mind, this is foolish. This does not make sense. My passion is for those of us who grew up in the church that we're so familiar with this. I'm afraid for some of us it maybe has kept us from actually thinking through how nonsensical this appears. And it's why we want to come up with good reasons to believe it. For me, it's the truth of Scripture. The limits I have in understanding an infinite God. But when we read this text, we ought to be going, oh my. The invisible God who was there before there was anything created everything and he became a human being? And our awe for Jesus, here's my conviction, in many ways matches our appreciation of the complexity and magnitude of who he is. This is mind-blowing stuff. But if we really get this, if we really embrace this, we're going to be pretty focused on seeing who this Jesus is. Because he's God. Man. We get a more clear picture of God by getting a more clear picture of Jesus. Hey, Keith, would you come up here? This is Keith Gove, not only one of our drummers, but uh, one of our staff around here. We got talking about this, about this idea this week. And yes. How are you? I'm well. It's always a dangerous thing to talk to you. <laughs> I might end up up here. <laughs> it, it, sometimes it, it happens. So when did you come to Treasure Christ, you really think, in your life? Um, my freshman year of college. Okay. So and it, that's, 18, 19 years old. That was the, the truth of uh, who Jesus is and yep. you committed your life, life, to, yep. life, life, life to him. Now this idea about this tension of, yes. of Jesus, of being God and becoming a human being, when did yeah. that tension really enter your mind? Now this is your fault because it was no tension for me. I grew up in a church from the time I was little. I played Jesus in the church play when I was like two weeks old. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> you're not getting that role any longer. No, no, no. I don't get that any longer. Um, but, but so familiar with Jesus, so familiar with he's God and he's human. And it just, they were facts that I knew to be true. But once you know them to be true, you don't have to think about them anymore. You don't have to process anymore. No, so it just is. You started thinking about them more then. How long ago was that? <laughs> yeah. So about 15 years ago, maybe here, uh, is, you know, all of, all of this. <laughs> All, all, of, all of that, 
You know, I, I, I didn't grow up where, where it was, you know, nonsense or absurd. You know. It made perfect sense. Absolutely. He's God and he's human. You don't have to think about no. it. In fact, it's better if you don't <laughs> yeah. think about it. And if you call it nonsense, they probably make you leave. Oh, there you go. <laughs> if you even question it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's so, not too bad. So it wasn't until here, until you pressing me to think about this shouldn't make sense to us. But because I had learned it so early and just taken it for granted, it, it made perfect sense. And so, so you made everything frustrating. So when you... <laughs> You answered my next question there. <laughs> so you didn't have these restrictions, but how did you feel when you started to wrestle with it? Uh, frustrated, angry. Why, why would you upset my apple cart? This was very nice. You know, I, he's, he's God and he's human, and there's, it's, it's steady and it's, it's solid, and you, don't, you came in and, and messed with it and said, you should think more about this because this shouldn't make sense to you. And now that you've wrestled with it, where yeah, are yeah. you on this thing? Yes, what, what, yes. What's happened is you've wrestled with it. Yeah, and, and the result, I mean, the first Jesus is, is not very interesting. The uh, one you had before you yes, started wrestling. Yes, the first one. The first Though you I treasured him. Yes, absolutely. You treasured him. But, but he was there was not no the... reason to keep thinking about Jesus. He's God and he's man. And he was actually a little dull. Yeah. Okay. And, and so the, the process of questioning this, the process of imagining how this could work, 100% of this and 100% of this, and he's not 200%, uh, it, it, Jesus becomes more fascinating, more intriguing, more worthy of my, my, my research, my, my thoughts, my love. But it was uncomfortable at first. Yes, frustrating. And there was work. How do you feel about this Jesus now compared to before the wrestling? Yeah, yeah. I know uh, you already answered it, but I, I want to no, get no, there no. again. A, a much more heartfelt and, and much more um, thoughtful connection uh, uh, to Jesus than I, than I ever had. Makes you a little more happy? Can yes. I throw that in yes. there? Perfect, perfect. <laughs> if cool. you're not going to say it, I'll lead you to it. <laughs> So here's again our conviction around here. There is extraordinary benefit. There's great happiness to be found in pondering this Jesus. Wherever we are in that journey. If you're not sure you treasure him yet, keep thinking about him. If you're early in that journey, keep thinking about it. If you're farther on that journey, keep thinking about him. And then this Jesus. Here's to me one of the signs that we maybe haven't worked through this. We're not that excited about sharing him with others. Now this buddy of mine, I love him. He's got a decent life. But he doesn't have Jesus. We'll keep talking. Many of you might... Be surprised at how much I wait for other people to initiate interest, because he's a buddy. But he's with me. Jesus comes up. But when you get who this Jesus is, part of the inevitable byproduct is we just can't get this Jesus to ourselves. Because there is just too much good about him. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What John wants us to unmistakably see is that Jesus is God. So we could actually say this. This is the exact quote. But we could say it this way, and John wants us to see we're saying the same thing. What comes into our minds 
when we think about Jesus is the most important thing about us. So we're going to take just a little time here this morning. Our prayer, our encouragement, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, spend a little time thinking about Jesus.